Well, good morning. My name is uh, David Blouse, one of the ministry staff here. And uh, if you've still got Matthew 10, keep it open. Just keep your finger in it. We're going to spend most of our time in that this morning. Let me pray. Father, we ask as we come to your word today that you would teach us what it means to be one of your disciples. Help us to count the cost, to know it well, and please help us to be prepared to pay it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got a mate called Luke. Uh, I've changed his name for privacy's sake. Luke lasted one day as an apprentice plumber. He was, uh, he was a young man. He uh, finished school. I mean, we're talking a few years ago now. Finished school. He's trying to work out what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do next? What am I going to be trained in? What am I going to get on with? Uh, it wasn't really the, the books sort of a person. He thought, oh, no, uni, it's not really going to be for me. I've got to do a trade. That seems to be what people do instead. So he lined it all up. He had, uh, had his, his, I don't know what you call him, his master. I guess it's probably a slightly more politically correct term. He's supervisor these days, right? Uh, The person who was going to do his apprenticeship lined up. He had his TAFE enrolment all done. And it it all seemed to be going really well. Right, first day on the job, uh, meets the supervisor. They're getting along really well. They're kind of talking about what the job entails. And Luke is thinking, yep, all right, okay, this isn't too bad. I'll have a crack at this. You know, I'm ready to work. Uh, we, We can do it. And then the second half of the day, he went to TAFE. And he's thinking, well, this is okay, right? TAFE is, is hands-on learning. It's not a lot of books. I should be okay. First class, he sits down. The lecturer, actually, they're probably not called lecturers at TAFE, are they? Oh, the teacher, whatever they're called, walks in. And he stands at the front of the class. And he says, you have to know one thing before we start. If you are not prepared to have other people's poo in your mouth, this is not for you. Luke lasted one day as an apprentice plumber. He counted the cost and he was not prepared to pay it. And we're talking about discipleship and as we think today about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, which in fact really is going to be equal to being an apprentice, we need to know what we're in for. You need to know the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. You need to know if you're prepared to pay it, what lies ahead. Now, as a church, uh, we we are committed to being disciples who make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're spending this term talking about that idea. What does it mean to be a disciple? The last two weeks, we've talked about the motivation. Why do we make disciples? Why is this what we're on about? And a quick refresher, uh, we, we make disciples because Jesus has authority over all people. Everybody belongs to Jesus. And so we go and teach people how to respond to that. But secondly, God's plan, the big picture of the history of the world and humanity, is to make a people for Jesus. That's what God is doing. He's gathering his people for Jesus. Because of that, we go and we make disciples. Now, today and next week, we're going to talk about the what. What is it to be a disciple of Jesus? And in particular, what is it to be a disciple of Jesus in this task of making disciples of Jesus? Now, in that first reading, Matthew 28, that we're going to keep reading and over and over and over again, we read these words from Jesus, go and make disciples. And it kind of had those two, well, I don't know, 
aspects to it, the, the, the two identities to being a disciple. Firstly, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Uniting them to Jesus. And secondly, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We're going to focus on the second one more. Next week, we'll mention the first of those teachings. See, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a learner, to be an apprentice, to be somebody who is taught. But it's not just learning a body of knowledge. It's not like you're a learner of maths, right? pure mathematics, and you have to learn all the formulas. No, we're learning more than just a body of knowledge. We learn a way of life. Teach them to obey everything. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be somebody who is learning how all of their life can be conformed to the pattern of Jesus and his early disciples. Now, in one sense, that is therefore as long and as big as the whole Bible, right? We could cover the entire Bible from cover to cover, and it would teach us what we need to learn to be disciples of Jesus. Uh, Joe told me I didn't have enough time for that one, so instead we're just going to do Matthew 10. Uh, Come to Matthew 10. Matthew 10 is a fascinating passage where, in a sense, Jesus gives his disciples a mini-commission, if Matthew 28 is the Great Commission, Matthew 10 is the, 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 pre, the preview. Not quite the prequel, but it's the mini one. And it's a little bit different to the Great Commission. Now, as we read Matthew 10, we're going to learn eight aspects of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But we have to be responsible in how we do it. Whenever you read the Bible, you need to make sure that you understand the context. You can't just take a bit of the Bible, find a verse that says something interesting and go, well, that's it. That's my verse for today. I'm going to run with that one. A very irresponsible way to read the Bible. You have to understand it in its context. Jesus' mission was very specific. And at this point in time, he was speaking to Israel, to the people at that time of God. And he saw them like this. Look at chapter 9 and verse 35. Understand the context of what was happening. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He's looking at the children of Israel, saying there are so many of them, and they are lost. We need more workers. So chapter 10, he called his 12. Chapter 10, he sends out workers. And they go with a very specific mission. They were to go to the lost people of Israel. It was just a specific group of people. We read in verses 5 to 7. To go and say to them, come back to God before the time runs out. It was relentless. It was urgent. Right? Verse 23, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. In chapter 10, I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Go and move fast, because before you make it to the border, it happens. What we saw last week, the Son of Man coming in glory to judge the world, the suffering servant dying for the sin of all, the Christ ascending to his throne, the King, all of that's going to happen, Jesus says, before you get to the border. So run. Now, that said, 
there are some things about this commission, the mini commission, that are the same, that are comparable to what Jesus tells us in the great commission that is to us. So all of that just by way of warning to say we need to be responsible as we read these chapters and apply the things that it is right to apply and be okay with things that are specific. Okay, so here we go. Eight aspects of being a disciple of Jesus. Now, clearly, uh, we started English classes this week and I was making worksheets, so I made you one too. You've got to fill in the blanks if that's going to be at all helpful to you. Eight aspects of being a disciple and particularly in this task of being a disciple who makes disciples. Number one, preach the kingdom of heaven. Have a look at verse 7. Chapter 10 and verse 7. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. That was their job. Go and preach. It's funny. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a speaker. It's not just to learn, but as we learn, it is to proclaim. To proclaim the kingdom of heaven. However, slightly different to theirs. They were supposed to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near. It's about to happen. It's about to arrive. We speak of the kingdom of heaven that has already arrived. The king is already on the throne. Salvation has already begun. Judgment has already come. The kingdom is now and it is glorious. Is that the way you think of yourself? If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple, do you think of yourself as somebody who primarily is there to proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come? Now, of course, slightly different to the mini commission. We aren't limited to Israel. We are sent to the ends of the earth in our proclamation to proclaim the king that is on the throne. Is that how you see it? Is that your basic identity? I am somebody who is to go and say to other people, the kingdom of heaven has come. I can't say that I've said those words any time recently. <laughs> to be a disciple is to preach the kingdom of heaven has come. Now, I had a question as I was working through this about verse 8. Because in the mini commission, the disciples are sent to preach the message and then verse 8 Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And I wondered, is that also part of disciples? As we think about, as we think about being responsible in this passage, was that specifically for them? Or is this something that is common to the disciples of Jesus? Should we, as we go and proclaim, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the ill? Now, I think that that is not the case for us. And I think so for two reasons. The first is to do with authority. Look back at chapter 10 and verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to them and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus gives the 12 the, the power, the authority. Go and do this. Now, it's strange when we come to Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, Jesus says, I have all authority. And that's it. He, he doesn't give this authority to them. He doesn't, it's just, I have it, it's mine. And he moves on. 
See, there was a reason why these disciples had that authority, which was to back their message up. Look at chapter 11 and over at verse 4. When jo- sorry, verse 2. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? Is this it? Is it all happening? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached. They needed the miracles as a testimony, as a proof to the truth of what they were proclaiming, and we already have the proof. Their signs. We don't need more signs, we have their signs. They did these miracles, and it shows that their proclamation was the truth. Now, can God do miracles? Of course he can. There's nothing stopping him from doing it. But I take it that this is not a common part, a normal part, an expected part of being a disciple of Jesus. But the preaching is... That has not changed. Go and make disciples. All right, first aspect, preach the kingdom of heaven. Second aspect, there is both urgency and time. I don't know if you got that sense of urgency as, you, as this chapter was read for us. It was real. It was immediate. They were to go unencumbered. Don't carry more than you need. Let people provide for you on the road. If you come to someone and they just won't listen to the message, move on. Shake the dust off your feet. They will get what's coming to them. Don't spend time there. Just keep going. Verse 23, if you're persecuted, just move to the next place. There was this massive sense of urgency. Don't worry about two coats. Don't worry about the extra sandals, the extra stuff. You don't need multiple pairs of shoes. You're not going to wear them out before you get to the end of the message. However, it's a little bit different for us because in a sense we do have a bit more time. Jesus hasn't said to us, before you get to the end of Ingleburn, it's done. Right? We, we don't have that sort of promise. Paul, when he writes to Timothy, says, when you come, bring my coat, bring my scroll, bring my parchment, bring the things. We, we have time to do this ministry. We have time to do this mission. And so it's not like we need to drop everything now, quit our jobs, become wanderers like they were and just pursue this house-to-house door-knocking, finding someone who'll put us up for the night and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have time. And yet we don't, do we? Because Jesus could return tomorrow. He, He could return in even less time than these disciples had. He has promised he will return. And so I take it that to be a disciple of Jesus is to live with that sense of urgency. To be unencumbered, if I can put it that way. That we might be agile and quick and able to take gospel opportunities as they arise. And look, I underlined that word unencumbered and wrote challenge next to it. Because it's such a challenge for me. I'll be honest with you, I don't feel unencumbered. My life is just full of the house and the possessions and the hobbies and the plans and the family. Oh, I can't, I'm not going to get rid of the family. But, you know, and, and it's just so much weighing down that I don't feel a sense of I can just go and take gospel opportunities and be urgent in the task of evangelism. 
To be a disciple is to preach the kingdom of heaven. It's to have a real sense of the urgency. Thirdly, it's to be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. And in particular, in the way that we relate and respond to those we share this message with. Have a look at verse 11. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there, stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. I'm having a little Marie Kondo moment there. Is anyone, anyone, a little, little peace and I think this is okay. That's a bit weird. But anyway, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave the to- that ha- home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. It's a strange thought, isn't it? That you might say, you share the gospel with somebody, they are just utterly disinterested and you go, okay, and you move on. The person who persecutes you because you're, okay, that's fine. You don't want to listen. You don't want to hear. You have a heart that is hard towards God and you just do not care. Well, then so be it. Now, of course, God can and does transform the hardest of hearts. He can take that person that you just think there is no possible way that they are ever going to come to the Lord. He can do it. He can do it. So don't stop praying for them. But there's a sense in which the disciples of Jesus were to have wisdom. Understand what's happening in front of you. If there is somebody who truly just doesn't want to listen, doesn't care, doesn't just, okay, so be it. They are bringing their own condemnation upon their head. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. We go out as sheep amongst wolves. They are wicked. They do not want to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so be wise. Pray. Persevere. But at the same time, go as innocent as doves. Don't write somebody off. Oh, that person. They, no, no, I'm just not going to go there. It's not going to do it because they wouldn't, you know, they're just not. No, just just play dumb, if I can put it that way. Just go and tell them about Jesus. You never know what he will do. Shrewd as snakes, innocent as doves. Fourthly, the disciples of Jesus expect persecution. Expect persecution. Verse 17, be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. Over in verse 21, brother will betray brother to death. A father, his child, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Do you expect as a disciple of Jesus to be hated? That's a strong word, isn't it? They hated Jesus. Verse 24, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. 
If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? (laughs) They spat on Jesus. They mocked him and beat him and tortured him. They killed him by crucifixion. The one perfect human being. Do you think they won't do the same to us? The one who brought the gospel of peace and love, who said to people, come and find an easy yoke, come and find forgiveness, come and find the treasure beyond all compare, and they crucified him. Because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ also says, you are a sinner, you are wicked, you are evil, and you need forgiveness. And no one likes hearing that. No one likes being told our faults. No one likes being told what we've done wrong or the bad that we are. We hate it. I mean, just think about it for a moment, right? Especially when someone who's particularly good at telling you what you're bad at tells you what you're bad at. I mean, you know, people like that, right? You always do this and you always do that and you always say this. But even if somebody were to tell us in the nicest possible way, we still don't like it. I just... Sometimes I, I feel a little bit like I, it, it, it's not about you. I'm not trying to blame you, but I, I just feel a little bit, uh, a little bit sad sometimes because of circumstances. I'm not saying it's you, right? Just circumstances that happen, and 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 look, things come out in a way that's not quite exactly how how I would like them to be done. Right? Even if someone comes and says that to us, all we're hearing is I don't like your cooking, right? We still just hear the insult that we, we don't like people telling us. When we're bad. And the gospel comes and says, you are totally depraved. And we wonder why they might hate us. Persecute. I wonder, do they? Do do people hate you for being a Christian? I'm I'm not saying you need to go out and make people hate you. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not going to say go out and just push someone's buttons till they finally just poof and explode, right? But if you are going into the lives of those around you and you are saying the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of all that reign, of all eternity and all the universe, says to you, you are in the wrong and you need forgiveness or you will face consequences then there will be many people who will say to you, I'm not in the wrong, thank you very much. I am perfectly okay and I don't appreciate you telling me that I'm otherwise. Are we like Jesus? When you think about his ministry, how many times did he walk up to someone and say, you're a sinner and you need to stop doing that. You're a sinner and you need to repent and turn back to God. He did it time and time and time again. Do you expect to be hated because of Jesus? Now, I think that our children are going to have it tougher than us. I think that for us, we can still kind of get away with it. Christianity is accepted by and large. Christian morality is, yep, okay, sure. It's getting harder. But I suspect that our children are going to face a society and a culture that is going to be much more antagonistic. So parents, are you preparing your children for it? I find it really easy to tell my kids the good stuff. Jesus loves me, this I know. You're his friend. You're going to get to go to heaven. It's brilliant. You're going to be friends with God. But your friends at school are going to hate you for it. 
Are we preparing them? Your friends at school may stop being your friends because Jesus is not their king. Disciples preach the kingdom, have urgency, are shrewd, expect persecution. Fifth aspect, the disciples trust the Holy Spirit. There's a beautiful couple of verses there in verses 19 and 20. When they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. It won't be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now, I take it that the being arrested bit, the being dragged before kings and governors is not a promise, right? That's not common. In fact, we have no record even of it happening to these guys. But we need to remember that the great evangelist, well, it wasn't Billy Graham or Spurgeon or any of, any of those kind of people from the past. The great evangelist is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who takes the word of God and transforms people's hearts. He is the one who is charged with the task of convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He is the one, Jesus said to his disciples, who will teach you all things and guide you into all truth. He is the one who takes the word and makes it alive in us. So don't worry. Don't stress when the time comes. Just speak the truth. Now, that doesn't mean don't be prepared. Peter will say, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope you hold. It's good to understand and to think and to be trained and to be ready to speak particular words. But when the time comes, it's okay. Don't stress it. And you know what? You're also allowed to say, I don't know. This isn't a promise that miraculously you will receive knowledge of things that you don't know. You may... But it's okay to say, I don't know. Do you mind if I go and find out? Do you mind if I go and ask somebody? Maybe we could research it together. It's all right to say that. But please, please, when the opportunity arises, have you ever found that? You're in a situation where you're like, I could speak about Jesus right now, but I'm not sure I could answer that person's questions, so I won't speak. You ever done that? I could, oh, but what if they ask me something? So I won't. Just do it. Speak the truth. Don't stress it. It's okay if they ask you a question. That's brilliant because you can have another conversation later. Excellent. Trust the Holy Spirit. Sixth aspect of being a disciple. How did I write it here? Fear God, not men. Verse 28. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who will destroy both soul and body in hell. Let's just pause there for a moment before we come to the next verse. If you are the sort of person who doesn't act out of fear of people, whether it's fear of being mocked, ashamed, cut off, physically harmed, whatever your fear is, then please fear God more. (laughs) The worst they can do to you is what cut your arms off or something whatever god can condemn you to the eternity of torment of hell if you are the sort of person who doesn't act or does act out of fear of people then please be more afraid of god but verse 29 are not two sparrows sold for a penny 
yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Even the very hairs of your head are numbered, so don't be afraid, because you are worth much more than sparrows. This God, who is so much greater than anything we could fear on earth, is for us. His love is towards us. He pours out his power for our good. So don't be afraid. But if you are afraid of people, then be more afraid of God. But don't be afraid. He is for us. Know that he loves you. Seventh aspect, and we're really starting to get to the pointy end here. Never be ashamed of Jesus. And this is full on. Verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. (laughs) You're, You're a Christian, aren't you? No, 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 not really. It's just a thing I do sometimes. What did you do yesterday? It was Sunday, right? What did you get up to on Sunday? Oh, no, not much. <laughs> you get to heaven and Jesus stands there with God. And God says, oh, this is one of yours, right? And Jesus says, no, oh, no. Ouch. Do not disown the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are one of his disciples, then you wear a badge that says, I belong to Jesus every single day of your life. You will stand up for him and say, he is mine and I am his. How easy is it to sometimes just hide a bit? Never be ashamed of Jesus. And so, eighth and finally, really we could sum all of this up with just one word. The disciple of Jesus is someone who has died. There you go. Die. Easy, right? Verse 37, it's right. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. To be a disciple of Jesus is to die. To die to yourself. What do you think that image means? Pick up your cross. The cross was carry the own means of your execution. Carry the thing that will kill you. Pick up your cross. Leave behind who you are and what you dream of and what you aspire to. Leave behind every single idol that would replace Jesus, even if it's family. I mean, on a day like today, we're here to do a dedication. We've got family and friends. And what an astonishing thing for Jesus to say. But it's true. I think he chooses family because that is just, just, family has such a great pull on us. It's so hard when family comes knocking to keep Jesus as number one. It's so hard to not just, okay, I have to do this now. Jesus, you can go and wait for a little while. I asked a group this week, uh, we were just talking about dreams and, and kind of what you, what you hope for the future. 
And all of them had some form of my family succeed. My family be well provided for, that I might leave a good legacy, set them up well to live and to have... Anyone who loves his mother or father is not worthy. Anyone who loves his son more than me. When family comes knocking, have you died such that Jesus is everything? You live for him. I wonder why. What stops us from giving Jesus everything? I mean, it's a big picture, isn't it? To have your whole of life consumed by Jesus. It's not a small thing. To be passionately devoted to him and his causes. What stops us? For me personally, it often is fear of others, unfortunately. Fear of embarrassment. I don't know why. It's it's a dumb thing to fear, but... (laughs) You're talking about Jesus. And like heaven and God. It's a great fairy tale, isn't it? He's like, oh, it hurts, right? Friends, we follow somebody who was rejected and despised. We follow a loser. You read Hebrews 12, sorry, 13 at some point, verses 12 and 13, right? They cast him outside the city walls. They cast Jesus out to the place of shame. And you and I as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ go and stand with him. Yeah, the message that we preach is foolishness to those who are perishing. Is it the love of the world that stops us? I just like what I have too much. I like my sport and my comforts and my entertainments and my travel. and my, I like my family too much. Can, how, how about we just split it a little bit? Can we have two masters? Is that okay? 40 weeks of the year, Jesus, you're on. and then, Just 12. Just 12 for family. Is that okay? Like That's a good split, right? You cannot serve two masters, for you will ultimately love one and despise the other. And if you have a master other than Jesus, I can pretty much guarantee which one you're going to end up despising. What stops you from giving Jesus your all? Now, I'll be honest with you, I see this in many, that there are many who have died. Amongst us in our church, there are men and women and children who just love Jesus and give their all. It's brilliant. And if you are one of those, then good on you. Keep doing it. Keep showing the rest of us how to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep dying. Keep proclaiming the gospel. People who make decisions based on the ability to tell others about Jesus. I mean, how good is that? Should I do this or that? Well, which one means that I'm going to be able to tell more people about Jesus? This one? I'm going to do this one. Fantastic. And yet there are many among us who, I'll be honest, show little sign of bearing a cross. Luke lasted one day as a plumber. As soon as he heard the cost, it was too much. Jesus will say in Luke, he tells his story and he says, no one starts to build a tower unless they have the money to finish. You don't build your house, you don't renovate unless you know, well actually maybe some people do, but in this case that doesn't work if you go that way. You don't build a tower unless you know, you don't go to war unless you know you can win. Do not do this unless you have counted the cost and you know you can pay it. I mean for Luke, it was too much to be told he had to have other people's poo in his mouth. Jesus asks 
everything of you. Everything. All that you have, all that you are, all that you plan, all that you dream, all that you desire. But you know what? It's worth it. Because in return, you get him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Uh, Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the greatest treasure. Thank you for the, the, the miracle that it is that you have given us your son. Father, thank you that he teaches us to follow in his footsteps, deny ourselves, to give up all and follow him. And so, Father, would you teach us to be disciples, to be apprenticed to the true master, the Lord Jesus, that we might live every moment of every day for your glory and in your service. Teach us, Father, to learn how to be good disciples. Amen.